Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 22, and we're going to read through to verse 37. The happy title of the sermon is Too Far Gone. All right. Matthew 12, 22, I'm reading out of the ESV, says this. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. To Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you that when we open this book, that it's it's this perfect book. This is from you, God. And this is truth. This is what is most true, Lord. And so right now we just submit ourselves together to you and your word. We sit at your feet, Jesus. Would we uh, be willing to hear the hard things that you say, God? We say that you are God and your word is true. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, you would come. You would help me to be clear, Lord. You would, you'd help us all just to... Um, to have ears to hear what you have to say. Holy Spirit, we invite you, if if there's areas in our life that need to go, that need to be convicted of, that we need to repent, we invite you, come and do that. Use this sword and cut us in a way that will save our lives and our souls, Lord. We invite you in. We love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this text is dealing with some heavy things. Uh, We heard the words condemnation, judgment, Satan, demons, you're evil, Uh, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And, and to be honest, most days when I open this book, to be honest with you, it's just not very real. And it doesn't honestly move me that often. And these are just like stories that I've heard so many times. And I forget, I honestly don't feel the fact that like Satan 
is real. And demons are real, like real as in they are present right now. Like in our lives, demons are, are real. I honestly feel like, yeah, I know Jesus did these things, but can he heal my body or, or the person's body I'm praying for? When I honestly, you guys, to be fully honest, when I pray, often I'm, I don't expect something to happen. That I feel like this is, these are familiar stories, but they're just not that real. And then in, if you remember last week in, the, in verse 18, it, it says the father saying, I will put my spirit on him. I confess that I don't often dwell on the fact that the spirit of God is in me. And the same spirit, listen, the way Jesus did all of these miracles was actually by the power of the Holy Spirit. He set aside his divinity in some crazy way and he did everything he did by the power of the spirit. And, and did you know, you have the same spirit that rose people from the dead, that rose Jesus from the dead, that's in you right now. Like these are crazy, eternal, heavy, weighty things that I just kind of read through and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this text is in many ways a wake-up call if we allow it to be to what is most real and what reality is actually like and what's actually going on. And from verse 22, Jesus is showing us, God is showing us through his word, there's more than meets the eye, right? Like this man... This man was blind and he was mute. And oftentimes, like today, I'd be like, yeah, this guy, he's blind and mute. But Jesus casts a demon out of the guy. I'm sure everyone else is like, oh, that was the problem. Interesting. And, and you like, think about that. Sometimes all we see, of course, is the physical, but there are deeper issues going on. There are actually spiritual realities. And this man didn't just need his eyes to be open. He didn't just need his mouth to be open. He had a demon inside of him. And he needed to be delivered from that. Like we live in a supernatural universe. That's true. We live in a supernatural universe. All the physical atoms, they came from not physical atoms. Something supernatural had to happen. We live in a supernatural universe. Uh, and and this, this text is like, hey, wake up. This is happening. This is heaven and hell. Eternity is real. And Jesus is saying, okay, guys, like, pay attention here. There's something more going on. And so he's healing. And then in verse 24, things make like a really quick turn. And all of a sudden we see Pharisees saying, yeah, but he's doing that by the power of Satan. And you're just like, wow, that's extreme. That's an extreme statement. You just see a miracle. You see a demon leave. And the Pharisees are like, yeah, but that's Satan. Like, what is going on here? Satanic Jesus? That's what they're saying. Jesus is satanic. And it's, it feels crazy when you just read it. But if, if you look back from chapter 8 on, there's been a pattern with the Pharisees. And they'll see a miracle of Jesus, and they reject it. No, he's not from God. Then they hear this teaching of authority. No, I reject that too. Then they see miracles no one has ever done in human history. No one's blind eyes have ever been opened in the history of the world. We don't see it anywhere until Jesus. And then they say, mm, yeah, I don't think that's God. And they've been making decision after decision to the point where a few verses ago, they said they went out to seek how to destroy him. So this isn't really out of the blue. The Pharisees have been in this pattern of rejecting Jesus. And then we see in verse 25, Jesus reads their minds. 
which is fun. In verse 25, Jesus, perceiving, knowing their thoughts, said to them, and, and what he says, and he, he essentially reads their minds and then just starts arguing with their thoughts, which can you imagine that? You're just thinking and he starts arguing with you. And he has three points to them. He says, okay, you think I'm casting demons out by the power of Satan? I have three thoughts for you. And, and that, that's what he lays out in the next few verses. And number one, he says this, your accusation is actually illogical. It's cool. Jesus uses logic. He says, your accusation is illogical. Demons don't cast out demons. Darkness doesn't cast out darkness. That doesn't make any sense. And he goes on to use his metaphor, a kingdom divided will fall or a house divided will fall. And this is interesting, but you know, Satan's kingdom, he has a kingdom. And one of the features apparently of his kingdom is they are not divided. Think about that. Satan's kingdom is apparently united. They have a united front. They have a united purpose against the kingdom of God. And, and I read Charles Spurgeon said, sadly, division is reserved for the kingdom of God. Sadly, division is reserved for us, the church. Hey, our enemy is not divided. Think about that. Our enemy is not divided. They are unified. And Jesus says, okay, so number one, you're being illogical. Number two, how do you cast out demons? He says, how do your sons cast out demons? Let them be your judge. Ask them, ask them. And then number three, he says, let me tell you what's actually going on here. And then he goes on to say, the spirit, it's by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, which means the kingdom of God has come. And then he, he goes on to use his metaphor saying, I am like a strong, I, I'm one who is stronger than Satan, who can go into his kingdom, bind Satan, cast him out. And Jesus is essentially saying, I have the spirit of God, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, and I'm stronger than Satan. And then, and this is, this is what frames all of these verses, Jesus breaks everything down to this. There are two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms. And, and he says this, in verse 26, he says there's Satan's kingdom. In verse 28, he says there's the kingdom of God. In verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then in verse 33, he says, make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Jesus lays out the universe and says, there are two teams. There are two sides. That's it. There is no middle ground. Every one of us are in one of those two kingdoms right now. That's, that's the truth. There's no middle ground. We're not, if you're considering Jesus, you are not with Jesus. He says, you are with me or you are against me. Christianity is actually black and white, either or you are in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of darkness. You are a Christian saved by the blood of Jesus or you are not and you are in the kingdom of darkness. And that's not popular and we live in a world that loves the gray area, especially in terms of spirituality. We like, hey, I like this. I want to take this from over here and I want to take this from over here. And yeah, Jesus has a place and Jesus is saying, you can't do that. And if you are doing that, listen, you're not, you are either with me or against me. There's, you can't have part of me. And even right there, Jesus is essentially asking us, are you with me? Do you follow me? Do you pledge allegiance to me? Because by definition, if you don't, you are not with me. You are not with me. And then, so he's, he's laying this all out. There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. Then he brings up, what is arguably one of the hardest and strangest and most debated statements in the Bible. And he, he accuses the Pharisees of the, the worst sin possible, 
We see it in verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Okay. Now, before we get into like, what, are you, what is this sin? Because apparently it's really important and I don't want to commit it. I think it's worth pointing out that sometimes the Bible is a little bit confusing. Sometimes the Bible baffles us. For the record, that verse has baffled church history for 2,000 years. We've been debating that and trying to figure it out for a long time. And let even the fact that this is not crystal clear uh, assure you that this is from God. This isn't some person's book. And, and listen to this quote from a pastor explaining this text. He says this, This passage of scripture contains things hard to be understood. The sin against the Holy Ghost in particular has never been fully explained by the most learned divines until this morning. Just kidding. It is not difficult to show from scripture what the sin is not. It is difficult to show clearly what it is. We must not be surprised. The Bible would not be the book of God if it had not deep places here and there, which man has no line to fathom. That's good. If you ever get confused by this book, just be encouraged. Like, this is from God. This is like having a conversation with someone much, much smarter than you. Sometimes you're not going to get it. That's okay. At least you're having that conversation. This book is from God. And it's hard sometimes. But just because it's hard and, and debated doesn't mean it's not from God for us. Doesn't mean we don't try and learn from it. Doesn't mean we don't wrestle with it. All scripture, including this text, is breathed by God, useful for us. And, and when we're trying to figure out difficult passages, we, we look to clear passages. And God, what are you saying? And we wrestle with it because eternity is at stake in, in this sin. And because it's heavily debated, the last thing I'll say is, I was just kidding, we can't take a super dogmatic, like this is it. When, when something is debated, it's usually a good thing to be like, I think this is right. This seems to be the most true. This seems to, to line up the most, but, but we're gonna have a humble approach. So we're gonna look at this sin. We're gonna look at what it's not and what it is. Um, and th- there are many actually important things we can learn. So before we look at what it is, let's take a quick look at what it's not. We have a quick list on what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not. Number one, the worst sin in the universe is not mere unbelief. If it were, we would all be guilty of it. We all were born in sin, not believing, and we were all saved. That's what we were saved from. So it's not mere unbelief. Number two, it's not an extra bad sin, which has sometimes been uh, articulated. It's not an extra bad sin mentioned in scripture, such, such as murder, adultery, or suicide. There is nowhere in the Bible that says the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is murder, adultery, or suicide. No, that is not supported in the Bible at all. Number three, it's not simply denying Jesus. Remember, Peter denied Jesus on like the worst night to do so ever. And Jesus restored him and forgave him and made him a leader in the church. Number four, it's not blasphemy in general, which what is blasphemy? Blasphemy is, is like essentially just cursing or saying something against God. Uh, we know this because Paul refers to himself as a former blasphemer. In 1 Timothy 1.13, it's, it's not just saying something against God, which is blasphemy, it's saying something specifically against the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into. And even in verse 31, Jesus says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, which is 
So we know it's not just blasphemy in general. Number five, it's not committed on accident. You didn't commit it when you were seven on accident, and now you're like, I can never be forgiven. Thank God this is not an accidental sin, as we will see. Number six, it is not grieving or quenching the spirit, which the Bible talks a lot about to Christians. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. It's not that. That's, that is a sin that Christians are often guilty of, but that's different than blaspheming the Holy Spirit, for Christians can be forgiven for this. Uh, One pastor has said the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit ought to frighten the comfortable and comfort the frightened. And we're going to get into why is that. So so what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The first place to look is what is, where do we read it in the Bible? And it's, uh, this story is told in all three, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're just going to read those really quick to you. So we just read it in Matthew. Read it to you in Luke 12, verse 10. Jesus says this, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And then in Mark 3, verse 28 and 30, Jesus says similarly, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So there, that's where you get some familiar language, the eternal sin or the unforgivable sin, which is often talked about. Have you committed the unforgivable sin? And he clarifies it there in Mark. For they were saying, he has a demon, which is important when we're trying to figure out what does this mean? So if we were to uh, throw out a definition, we would say something like this. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit by attributing the work of the Spirit to the devil, even though you know it is God at work. That last part is really important. Read it again. Rejecting, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit by attributing the work of the Spirit to the devil, even though you know it is God at work. So this sounds almost irrational. Like, why would you do that? but we see it happening here so clearly. The Pharisees were witnessing the miracles of God done by the power of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And and they had two options. Either they had to acknowledge, okay, this guy who is, we don't like, is at least from God, which they didn't want to do. So what's their other option? When you see someone supernaturally get healed, what's your other option? I guess it's done by Satan. That as a Jew, that would, those are your options. Either this is from God or this is from Satan. And they were not willing to bow their knee to Jesus. And so the only other option was this is Satan. And they did this over and over and over again. They rejected the teaching of Jesus. They rejected the miracles of Jesus. And this was not just like a Pharisee, like, I'm not sure if that's Jesus this, or if that's God. It was like over and over and over again. Listen to this quote by a pastor. He says, This was not a one-time momentary slip or inadvertent mistake in judgment, but a persistent lifelong rebellion in the face of inescapable truth. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a careless act, but a calloused attitude. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, therefore, is not just unbelief, but unashamed unbelief that arises not from ignorance of what is true, but in defiance of what one knows beyond doubt to be true. 
It's not mere denial, but determined denial. Not mere rejection, but wanton, willful, wicked, wide-eyed rejection. They saw over and over and over again the work and power of God and the truth of God proclaimed. And they said, I will not accept this. I will not accept this. I will not accept this. If you notice the word they use in Matthew, it's Beelzebul. That was their accusation of Jesus. Hey, this, he does this by the power of Beelzebul, which some fun history on that word is Beelzebul developed as a nickname for Satan. Where did that come from? If you remember in the Old Testament, the worst false god, does anyone remember? What's his name? Baal. Baal. And in 2 Kings, we see a nation that had Baal, and then they added the name Zebub, which means of the high place. So this is Baal of the high place, and that was their god, Baal Zebub. And the Jews hated idolatry eventually, and uh, they, what they did is they changed the last letter from Baal Zebub, and they put an L on the end, and that translated the word to, instead of Lord of the high place, to Lord of the manure. And then that became their nickname for Satan. They're like, hey, we're going to use the worst God and we're just going to change his name. And that's our new nickname for Satan, Beelzebul, Lord of the manure. And that was their nickname for Satan. And so not only were they rejecting the clear work of Jesus, they were doing so using the worst, most vile, idolatrous, like base word they could for Jesus. That's what they were doing. That's a picture of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now the question arises, okay, but what about today? And some people will argue you can't commit that sin today because you you have to you had to be able to see Jesus with your own eyes, perform works by the Holy Spirit, and then attribute it to Satan. But the Bible doesn't say so. The Bible uses these stories the same way it uses a lot of other stories, and it's as a warning for us. And though we don't see Jesus physically with our eyes, we have the words of Jesus. And we see the testimony of the miracles of Jesus. And this is the power of God. And when you read this book and when you hear the truths about Jesus, and then you say, I will not accept this, you're getting pretty close to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then we, we don't have Jesus performing miracles, but the Holy Spirit is just as present today as he was when Jesus was around. And we see the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. And there are miracles and healings. And as people see and witness today the power of God, as he proclaims, as word is proclaimed, as the spirit is moving, when you willfully see it and watch it and hear it and understand it and say, but I will not accept it, you're getting pretty close to what the Pharisees were doing. The danger is, is real today. And, and it's actually the danger comes when you are, the more knowledge you have, the more in danger you are. We know that. The more you've been given, the more you're going to be held accountable to. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not from, you know, someone who's never heard of Jesus. They're not, they're not guilty of it. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit happens when you hear the gospel and you hear sermons and you're around the work of God and you're seeing it happen on a daily or weekly basis and you don't accept it. The, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like a danger for those who are kind of around church culture and checking things out, but aren't willing to submit. The more you hear every sermon, every verse you read, you're now held a little bit more accountable for what you have heard. And what's crazy is, is human beings are the same today as they were then. And people hear the truth of Jesus. Maybe you have heard the truth of Jesus and you're not willing to bow your knee to him. And, and listen to what this pastor says about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit today. 
the New Testament reveals how close one may come to the kingdom, tasting, touching, perceiving, and understanding. And it shows that to come this far and reject the truth is unforgivable. So it is here. Jesus charges those who perceive that his ministry is empowered by the Spirit, and then for whatever reason, whether spite, jealousy, or arrogance, ascribe it to Satan, have put themselves beyond the pale of forgiveness. For them, there is no forgiveness. And that, ver- that is the verdict of the one who has authority to forgive sins. Man, let, let us hear, this isn't just a sin, it's an unforgivable sin. It's a sin to which your heart will not repent of. It's a very real, serious sin. When we hear the truth of God and reject it, there's something going on in our heart that begins to harden. And there is actually a point when you cannot repent. That is real. And and it says in this age or the age to come, you can get to a point in this life where you, it is impossible for you to repent of your sin. Now, the Pharisees saw Jesus in the flesh and they, they, they saw the power of God. We hear the word of God and we see the power of God. And so what are we doing with it. And, and, and especially to you, if you have rejected that, if you've rejected this truth, hear this, there, you're still alive. And I just want to plead with you, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit today, it kind of looks like this. You hear the truth. You understand it. Yes, I understand that I'm a sinner. Jesus came for me, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. I understand that. I just don't buy it. And then it's, and then it's to understand it and just reject it continually and willfully. People are like, hey, listen to the truth. Look at what Jesus has done. Look, look at how it's reasonable. Look how it's changed history. And people are talking with you. Every step a person takes in rejection, it just hardens the heart a little bit more. And the Bible uses a language like it's outraging the spirit. It's as if you were in a burning house and someone's running to you and they're saying, your house is burning. Come with me. Look around. Feel the heat. Come with me. And you say, I think I'm okay. The spirit is actually like, what are you doing? Like it's outraging the spirit. Come with me. Come and be saved. And there is a point when, as if you're in the house, your senses are so dulled that you will not leave that house. That is impossible to leave. And then Jesus brings up an interesting and important point. He says this, he says, okay, there's actually a difference between blaspheming me and blaspheming the Spirit. And and this is important to clarify what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what is it not? Because many people have rejected Jesus and aren't necessarily guilty of blaspheming the Spirit. Many people, maybe because of their culture, maybe Muslims hear about Jesus and they're like, nah, I just don't see he's the Son of God. Like, there's reasons why they're going to reject Jesus. That's blaspheming Jesus. But then to reject Jesus after having the truth fully explained over a long period of time, revealed by by the power and the testimony of the Holy Spirit, when you do that, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So this is an important statement. The distinction between blaspheming Jesus and blaspheming the Spirit is the distinction between a failure to recognize the light and a willful rejection of the light once it is truly seen. Okay, it would be like, you're living in a cave and someone says, hey, there's this thing out there and it's called the sun and it's hot and it brings light. And you're, you've never seen it and you're like, I don't buy that. That's like blaspheming Jesus. It's different if you lead them outside 
and they can feel the heat and their eyes are like burning by the sun and they're like, that's the sun. And they're like, ah, I don't buy it. That's different, right? That's experiencing, seeing for yourself. Like you're held to a much higher standard. Now you've, there's, there's no logical, reasonable reason why you would reject it. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that happens today. And you've probably experienced people like, why won't you believe in Jesus? And you see the heart just hardening. Okay, so that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the best we can do. And here's some good news. If you're a Christian, if you're a real born again Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, you've repented of your sin, you've trusted in his blood for your sins, you by definition cannot do that because you've received the spirit of God in you. And you can't have the spirit and then utterly deny he exists and he's real and he's from God and Jesus isn't from God. You can't do that. That's, that's illogical. If you are a true Christian, you've been given a new heart and the spirit of God is in you. You've been given new eyes to see. You've been given a tender, fleshy heart that loves God. You're not gonna commit it. Praise God. Um, but, but we can do many things wrong. We can sin against the Spirit in many ways. And so if you're not a Christian, that was for you. That's the danger of not being a Christian. But if you're a Christian, there's, there's still sins that we, can, that we can commit against the Spirit that are worth pointing out. And, and it's, it's similar in that the more we rebel and the more we reject, our hearts also get hardened and our conscience also gets seared. And, and there are some verses in the Bible that have some really strong warnings. If you call yourself a Christian, but you're constantly rejecting God. Like there's some really scary verses. And so it's important for us, even as Christians, to, to ask a few questions about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's three questions. The first one is this. Am I rejecting the Spirit's leading in my life? Am I rejecting the Spirit's leading in my life? Now, to be clear again, rejecting the Spirit's leading is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But it is a really important and dangerous sin that we've all committed. We've all done that. We've all felt the Spirit say, hey, you should go talk to that person. Hey, you shouldn't do that. And we say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I want to do. And we need to ask, am I rejecting the Spirit's leading? Uh, when I grew up, there's a pastor at the church I grew up at. His name's Pastor Kent. Um, I just remember him as super tall and really old, but he had like crazy stories. And he was telling me this story. This is a firsthand story from a godly man about being led by the Spirit. So he was counseling a man whose life had utterly fallen apart. His wife cheated on him, uh, like took the house, kids, everything. He lost his job. He was so depressed. And this man was just desperate. And so he reaches out, he's not a Christian, and he's interacting with Pastor Kent and he, he gets his number. And one day, uh, Kent's just sitting in his office and he feels the Spirit, like we've all felt. Hey, you should call him. And he's like, oh, that was just such a depressing, awkward meeting. I guess I'll call him. And so he calls him and he's on the phone. He's like, hey man, how's it going? And the guy's like, fine, just one word answer, fine. Um, cool, I've just been thinking about you. Everything going okay? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, any, any way I could be praying for you? No. Okay, um, well, praying for you, bro. I hope everything's okay. And hangs up. Worst phone call of his life. Hated it. Why God did you make me do that? A week goes by, doesn't hear anything. And then the guy calls him a couple weeks later and says, hey, we need to get together. So he's sitting at lunch with a man. And the man says, I had found who my wife cheated on me with and I bought a gun and I found out where he went on a run. And I was sitting in a park with my hand holding the gun in my jacket. 
and the man is coming, and my cell phone rings, and I pick up my phone, and it's you. And we have this conversation, and as we have this conversation, the man runs by me. And, and I just knew it was God, and I knew that I shouldn't do it, and I didn't do it. And the man literally gave his life to the Lord. And that was from being led by the Spirit in a phone call that didn't even seem to go well. Like, the Spirit of God is real, and he leads us. And when we reject him, like, we miss out on stuff like that. We miss out on incredible, amazing things that the Spirit of God is doing. And, and the sad thing is, the more we reject the Spirit, the less able we are to hear we kind of just get deadened and, and we're not listening anymore. We're not walking in the spirit. We're, we're kind of choosing the flesh there. So the first question, am I rejecting the spirit's leading in my life? Uh, a side note on that, the spirit's never gonna lead you to do something crazy like that's not in the Bible. He may lead you to something crazy in the Bible, but he won't lead you to like, I don't know, bad theology or go do crazy things. This is always a good book because the spirit wrote it. So check it with this, but be led by the spirit. There's amazing, insane stories in here about the Spirit leading people. Second question we need to ask ourselves, it's a little bit heavier, is am I rejecting the Spirit's leading me out of sin? Am I rejecting the Spirit's leading me out of sin? This is another thing the Spirit does. He leads us in righteousness, leads us in paths of righteousness. We have an enemy and this world that's trying to lead us to sin. And thankfully, Galatians 6 says, the Spirit is at war with our flesh the sinful flesh we still have, and he's leading us. And, and again, when we reject this, our conscience, it gets seared. It gets hardened. It's not as tender anymore. And it gets easier and easier and easier to give in to sin. One of, uh, I had a really good friend in college, and we loved like, talking about theology and books together. And we graduated from college, and he went off and just went abroad, like just traveling Asia for a lot, many months, and he came back and was like, dude, I've been, honestly, this, I know this is awkward, but I've been learning a lot about other religions and like Eastern mysticism. And honestly, bro, it's awesome. And he just starts telling me all these things. And thank, I don't know how, but by the spirit of God, I just kind of called him on it. And he's like, okay, dude, I'll be honest with you. I want to have the sexual lifestyle that I want. And I know that I can't because of the, this book. So I have found other things that kind of tell me other ways the world works. And they let me do that. And so that's why I want to follow these religions. That's why I don't want to obey the Bible. And he's just having a, like, I'm looking at him. And he's just like, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I was like, this is crazy. But he was a son of God. And over the next couple of years, the spirit of God made him miserable. Made him miserable. He couldn't enjoy his sin. And the spirit of God, I watched the spirit lead him out of his sin. And now he's walking with Jesus and he's at a church and he's like, yeah, that was dumb. But the spirit Spirit of God led me out of my darkness and led me to righteousness. Um, am I, ask, am I rejecting the Spirit's leading me out of sin? Am I rejecting the Spirit leading me out of sin? There's a verse in Hebrews 3 that, that is a, a really stern warning, a helpful warning for us. It says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion." 
Maybe there's some of you right now that, that are, are wandering, that you're, you're deceived by sin. And you're, you can feel your heart hardening. Let me just exhort you, repent. It's still today. Jesus hasn't come back. Don't get hardened to the point where you're just rejecting God. I've seen it happen. It's today. And today, if you hear the word of God, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. The spirit of God graciously, even now, is, he puts his finger on sin in our life. And he's like, hey, that needs to go. Hey, that needs to go. It's that conviction that hurts, but it's so good from the spirit. It saves our life. It's like a scalpel in surgery. It's gonna hurt, it's gonna be dangerous and crazy and it's gonna save our life. That's the spirit of God in your life. Are you listening or are you rejecting that spirit, the Holy Spirit in you? And then the third question we need to ask ourselves is this. Am I rejecting the spirits leading me to the truth about Jesus? Am I rejecting the spirit leading me to the truth about Jesus? This may be the truth of his word. This may be, yeah, I like a lot of this book, but there's some areas I'm not really willing to accept. You're rejecting spirits leading you to the truth. There's, there's also the, this, this is where many people, the Bible is clear, they're gonna, they're, they call themselves Christians when really they are deceived and they're going to reject Jesus. And if, if we flirt with rejecting the spirits leading us to the truth about Jesus, we are flirting with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this is an important question we need to ask ourselves. Is this me? One of uh, my best friends in college, probably was my best friend, um, loved the Lord. We walked together through college. And my, right before my senior year in college, I got engaged to my now wife. And, um, and I asked him to be my best man. Because he's like the most godly man I knew. And I knew he would call me out if I was not treating her right. You know, all the things like a good best man is supposed to do. Um, and I asked him to be my best man. We would stay up late just talking about ridiculous things and meaningful things. Um, he was such a good friend of mine. Um, so he said yes. And then through my senior year as I was engaged, something like was a little bit off. And we started to drift apart a little bit. And I, I tried to talk to him about it. Just couldn't really figure out what was going on. And what I didn't know was that inside he was like really doubting and struggling with his faith. And he was beginning to search for other like explanations of truth and, and reality and Jesus. And he didn't let anybody in. He was just doing this on his own. He just kind of like closed off to the world and then was, was doing this. And so this was happening my senior year. I didn't know that. I just could sense something was off. And then even at our wedding, it was honestly kind of a bummer because it was like, I'm not right with this guy and he's my best man. And honestly, even like the speech was lame and I was like, that's, you know, you want a good best man speech and like why, this isn't right. And um, it's, I don't know why one like bugged me, but I'll get over it. Um, I got a wife that day, so it's okay. So I, uh, that the next year after I had gotten married, he even was like not returning my calls and I was trying to hang out and eventually got to the point where I was like, I'm just gonna like sit down with him at lunch and have a conversation with my supposed to be my best friend, my best man. And I looked at him. I said, are you even a Christian? I remember saying those exact words. And he looked at me just straight face and said, no, I'm not. And it was, it was oh, if, I, if I let myself think about it, it, it will bring me to tears. And he, uh, from that day on, has not returned a phone call or text me back. I have not talked to him since from four years ago at that lunch. And I pray, I really do pray, God, please let him be a prodigal. Please bring him back. I pray for him all the time. 
And part of me fears that he has hardened and deadened his heart to the point where he will not repent. Part of me fears that he knows the truth. He knows it better than most people I know. He knows the Bible more than most people I know. And part of me fears, man, has he, is his heart hardened? Has he blasphemed the spirit? And that, it's heavy, meaningful, eternal stuff. These questions are hard and maybe even scary for you. Like maybe, maybe right now there's even still that question of like, yeah, what if I've committed that sin though? What if I've willfully just disobeyed Jesus to the point where I've committed that sin? And, and we have that like fear and we feel that weight in us. And look, look at verse 31. And this is so good. Jesus, in one of the most intense verses in the Bible says this, therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Just hear that. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Jesus says that right before he says such a hard verse. Hey, your sin, if you confess it and repent of it and put your trust in Jesus, doesn't matter what you have done. Literally doesn't matter how evil you have been. If you confess your sin, you will be forgiven. Every sin. There is no sin that you've committed that is so evil and wicked and dirty. Jesus is like, yeah, I can't forgive that one. I can't forgive that one. The blasphemy of the spirit is by nature just saying, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna accept Jesus at all. If you confess every sin and any sin, listen, I know there are sins that we hide right now. It may be one you're currently in. It may be a sin of your past. It may be a sin done against you. And I, I know because I do it. We hold this sin in our heart and we fear and we allow the enemy to speak. Hey, you can't be forgiven for that one. You're still dirty. God knows what you have done. And Jesus says right here, hear the words of Jesus, every sin will be forgiven. Every sin you have ever committed can be forgiven if you've trusted in Jesus. That is the gospel as far as the east is from the west. Your sins can be forgiven. And so the call to all of us this morning is, hey, let's repent of our sin. Why would we hide this? Why would we let our hearts get hardened? We don't need to, listen, to hide it, like to bring it out is to be forgiven and released and freed and covered. There's such freedom and healing when we confess our sins and we bring it to Jesus and we trust him that he is big enough to forgive me of my sin. He's God. Sin is against God. He's, Jesus was God, took your punishment on the cross, that if you would confess it, he would forgive you. And so this morning, this is why we finish with worship, because we need to respond to these warnings and calls to worship and to repent and to come to Jesus with our sin. And, and so every one of us right now, we get to worship him. And I just want to encourage you, if, if there's like hidden sin or wounds that you have in you, like bring those to Jesus and be forgiven and be healed. We have, we're gonna have a prayer team. Come get prayer. The, the Bible says if you confess your sins, there's healing that happens. Come bring that sin to a brother or sister. Come take communion where we remember the bread is the body of Jesus. Jesus was broken for us and his blood was poured out. So we dip it in that juice and remember the body and blood of Jesus. And then let's worship him. Jesus forgave you of your sin. He's worthy to be worshiped this morning. He can forgive all of our sin. And so, Right now, church, I just want to encourage all of us. Let's move away from the direction of hardening. Let's move towards confession and repentance and rejoice in a God who forgives all of our sins. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for the cross. 
Thank you that every sin can be forgiven if we bring it to you. Thank you that you, you come and you rescue us while we are sinners. Thank you that you, you initiate Jesus. That you come after us. You, come after, you left heaven to come after sinners like us. Jesus, would we respond to you? Would we bring you our sin? Would we bring you our fears and our doubts? God, I ask that you would comfort any who, who have that fear that, man, what if I've committed this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would comfort them. They would know all their sins are forgiven because they're covered in the blood of Jesus because they've confessed and repented. Jesus, I ask that you would save this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move in such a way that you would do the miracle that you did here and open blind eyes and you'd unstop mouths to praise you this morning. You would cast Satan out of our lives. God, any areas that we've given Satan a foothold in bitterness or sin, would you graciously come and rescue us and push that out? Holy Spirit, would you come into this place? Would you flood this room and our hearts? Would you drive the enemy away? Thank you, Jesus. You are stronger than Satan. You are stronger than our sin. And so we worship you now, Jesus. You are worthy to be praised.